With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. episode 14. Thank you for listening. Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and their victims that we don't hear or know much about. Now, contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are white. There are many well-documented cases of serial killers of color, and Fruit Loops is a podcast all about them. We will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and their victims that the media and entertainment commonly leave out because the news is racist. <laughs> and we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy. I'm Beth. That's right. We are not journalists, investigators, or psychologists. Nope. Just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Mm-hmm. Some of the things that we discuss on this podcast may be triggering and or disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder, and sometimes we use profanity. Listener discretion is advised. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. Please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com and enter at your own risk. That's right. So before we dive into the episode, let's tell the people what they will be hearing. Okay, so today we'll be talking about the Wichita Massacre, a case in which two brothers went on a crime spree in December of 2000. This Mm -hmm. subject was suggested by one of our friends in our Fruit Loops discussion group on Facebook, and her name is Karen. Thanks, Karen. Big ups to Karen. (laughs) How are you, Beth? (laughs) What's new? Uh, I'm good. You know, I'm really excited because my sister did the 23andMe DNA testing. And I Uh found out that I have an African ancestor. What? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I knew it. (laughs) I wasn't really expecting that at all. Uh, Wendy, uh, if you remember at one time, uh, you suggested that I might be biracial, but I have some of, some of my genealogy going back a couple hundred years and everything I knew about my family on both sides showed that I was just white, 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 (laughs) very, very white. (laughs) 
my genealogy shows that my family's from England, Ireland, Scotland, Germany, and France. And mm-hmm. uh, if you recall, when you suggested that I could have an, an African ancestor, I said, I, I, I didn't knew it. I didn't think so, but that would be cool. And well, it is. It's so fucking cool. <laughs> We're so excited. I am so excited. It's like Christmas. <laughs> you know, I was I was irrationally excited to find out <laughs> that I had an African ancestor. And uh, 23andMe is pretty cool because they break down what your DNA says about where your ancestors are from and approximately when. So this African ancestor, they said, was probably born in the 1700s and was 100% Southeast African. Uh, That time period is kind of problematic because that was when slave traders were active, but eh, eh. I don't know. I don't know what to think you know about what? that. We but... are we we can still rejoice in yes. this wonderful news. Yes. <laughs> we are rejoicing. Yeah. Hallelujah. I, I was I told everybody I was so excited. <laughs> I I want I want every white person in my life to take this take this test because I I guarantee that most people probably have a little bit of something. A bit of flavor. Yeah. A yeah. little bit of spice. Something in there. I just, and um, black sees black. And that's how I knew. That, <laughs> that I knew there was something in there. So I'm so excited about your, your news. And uh, next time I see you, I'm going to be like, give me five on the black hand side. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I don't have anything n- newsy, but so we work in the same office for the same white people. And um <laughs> There, there's like this, like office, this, so there's office etiquette, right? You don't cook your like, you know, smelly food, smelly fish. No fish. In the break room. Yeah. No fish. You know, you don't talk on speakerphone. You don't make all your calls on speakerphone because it's rude in the cubicle next to you. And I have something that I would like to get off of my chest. No right. I am bringing this the podcast altar amen so everybody be prepared to lay hands on me we're just <laughs> trifling ass white lady yeah we were there. now to the white lady who arrives at the office at the same time as i do who i have developed very crafty ways of avoiding but somehow my ways are not crafty enough i know you've had some health issues some family issues i know way more about you than I need to know. (laughs) And I just want to make a request on the podcast altar to please keep your mess and your news about baked goods to your damn (laughs) self. Also, stop hovering over me at the sink in the break room as I wash out my coffee mug. You wait your turn, bitch. Already so true. 10 pounds lighter. I feel 10 pounds lighter. She's just one of those crazy ladies. Just one of those crazy ladies. Yeah, she has to tell you, like, it's it's just TMI. TMI, lady. TMI. All the things. Mm -hmm. All the things. But has she asked me? No, never. Not not uh, once. Anything? Nope. Nope. I'm sure she knows nothing about us, but we know so much about her. so much about her so sister friend back off (laughs) so um 
now we're going to move on to the part of our show where we shout out any content by people of color or about people of color or any true crime goodies. And boy, am I excited to pop off about <laughs> this one. Uh, if you have not already heard, if you're under a rock somewhere and you have not already heard about the Dr. Death podcast, holy moly, it is so good. If you loved Dirty John, was it Dirty John or Dirty John? Dirty John. I might, say, I'm, I might be getting it. Dirty John. Yeah. You will absolutely love Dr. Death. Um, we've heard about Dr. Death before, but this is not that boring old British white doctor who killed hundreds of patients. Boring. No, this is an odd, <laughs> yes, super boring. This is a different evil white guy, and he's from America, United States. Texas. It's a six-episode series. Texas. Don't mess with Texas. It's a six-episode series about Dr. Christopher Dunch, a surgeon in Dallas, Texas. It is reported and hosted by veteran healthcare journalist Laura Bield. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, and I'm sorry. There are interviews of former friends and patients. Dr. Dunch was a neurosurgeon who radiated confidence. He thought he was the shit, and he claimed he was the best in Dallas. And if you had back pain and tried everything else, Dr. Dunch could give you the spine surgery that would take your pain away. But soon his patients started to experience complications, even death, and the system failed to protect them. It is very graphic. Personally, in my career. I get to read a lot of medical records. I love reading about surgery. I love hearing about surgery. Uh, so if you don't like that, brace yourself. <laughs> Fast forward through those parts. But it is, it, I mean, the only word I can use to describe it is it's delicious. It's And we highly recommend it. So yeah. Dr. Dan. Yeah. I totally burned through the episodes that are up right now and I can't wait for the next one to drop. It's absolutely fascinating. <laughs> and um, mm -hmm. yeah, the, the surgical stuff, it was actually kind of hard for me to listen to, but um, it's just so interesting. And um, yeah, mm -hmm. Dirty John was also really, really good. So I highly recommend that one as well. Okay, these uh, full yeah, full disclosure, yeah, these are all a bunch of white people, but it's still good. They are. It is true a true crime goodie and and we have to share when it's a goodie, yep, we got to share, share it. it. We got to share. So, there you go. So, extra extra read all about it. Do we have any serial killer crime news? I don't have any today, so I'll let you go. Okay. Uh well, uh, here in Arizona, a man was charged with the murders of two little girls in Tucson, Isabel Salis and Maribel Gonzalez. According to ABC 15 sources, charges have been filed against 36-year-old Christopher Clements for homicide in both cases. Amen? Clements is currently in custody in a Maricopa County jail on multiple fraud and burglary charges, according to online court records. Six-year-old Isabel Solis disappeared from her family home in April 2012 in Tucson, Arizona. Her remains were found in 2015, and DNA evidence um, confirmed that it was her. Uh, Maribel Gonzalez was 14 years old when she went missing from her home in Tucson in 2014. Her body was found several days later, miles away in a desert area near Trico Road and Aver Valley Road in Tucson. And I go to Tucson a lot, but... I still am not very familiar with, with the layout, so I don't know exactly where those no, are. No, none of those 
sound familiar yeah, to me at all. But uh, Clemens has a lengthy criminal record, including convictions for a child sex crime, identity theft, assault, and failing to register as a sex offender. Um, I read his rap sheet, and it goes back to like Holy 1997. Um, Clemens, yeah, he's been in the crime game for a while. He's been held in a Maricopa County jail for months where he's currently facing several additional criminal charges for burglary and fraud. And the sources that I uh, found said that there is concern that Clements could have other child victims other than Celis and Gonzalez, given um, the criminal history as a sex offender. And I don't doubt it. And I hope they get to. Yeah. I kind of wondered about that when I read the story. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So let us know what Terrible. you think. We did post something about it on our Facebook um, discussion group. So if you guys have any thoughts on this crime, please tell us. And we are back. Um, as Wendy mentioned earlier, our episode today is about Reginald and Jonathan Carr. They were a pair of brothers who embarked on a horrific crime spree in Wichita during December 2000, known as the Wichita Massacre or the Wichita Horror. So, uh, not, um, technically what we usually think of when we talk about serial killers, but they did kill several people over the span of days. So let's get into some stats. Stats. Okay. So the brothers, <laughs> I mean, brothers, Jonathan uh, and Reginald Carr are responsible for five deaths, two near deaths, and they also killed a dog. Their robbery, mass rape, kidnapping, and killing spree started on December 7th and ended on December 14th in 2000 in Wichita, Kansas, everybody. Also, all of the victims were white. Three men, two women, and their MO was abduction, rape, and shooting. All right. So I say that like, all right. All right. Yeah. We don't it's mean not like that. It's not yeah. all right. <laughs> not all right. So, yeah, we're just going to get into their early life. Uh, Reginald was born in 1978 and Jonathan was born in 1980. Uh, they were both born in Dodge City, Kansas. And uh, these kids had a really fucked up childhood. They sure did. Yeah. Their parents fought often and violently. Uh, they had a younger sister who uh, died of leukemia when she was mm. just three. Um, their parents uh, were fighting all the time. And I'm sure the death of the younger sister uh, didn't help with the marriage. Mm -hmm. And eventually they split up. Mm. And the father completely dropped out of the boys' lives. Um oh just never saw them again. Mm -hmm. After their father left the picture, uh, the boys witnessed their mother being abused by her boyfriends. Mm -hmm. And according to different sources, the boy's father, uh, when he was in their life, and uh, their mother's boyfriends sexually abused their older sister. And I suspect that at the very least, Reginald was sexually abused by someone in mm -hmm. the family as well. Oh, absolutely. And maybe both of them were. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I don't know who, because they never, they never said, um, who might have sexually abused him, but, uh, pretty sure he was. Yeah. Again, hurt people hurt people. Yes. So, um, their mother, Janice Harding, married a second abusive man who was violent and even once put a gun to Janice's head. Janice was prone to sudden outbursts of rage. And when she would discipline the boys, she would beat them while they were naked with electrical cords. As she did this, she would have her other children hold the boys down and watch. The boy's mother also abused drugs like cocaine and marijuana, which I don't think marijuana is a big deal, but the cocaine is. (laughs) And uh, she has had (laughs) she has said that the boys did not experience much warmth or intimacy when they were children. Um, that she hasn't, she wasn't a huggy or a kissy person and that the family did not even celebrate holidays. And Jonathan tried to commit suicide when he was 16. Jesus Christ. Yeah. He tried to commit suicide by drinking antifreeze. Oh my Lord. Yeah. I'm not even sure. Yeah. I'm not sure how he survived that, but he did. So, yeah. Wow. Well, Clearly it was bad. (laughs) And then it just gets worse. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Reginald Carr uh, began having uh, sexual interactions with girls starting at age six. Come again. Yeah. He was six years old. And I, what I read was that he, he was basically molesting girls at six years old. And by age seven, he, said that he began frequent sexual intercourse with a female cousin um, Mm -hmm. at seven. (laughs) And I don't know how old the cousin was. So I don't know if this cousin was the one who was molesting him. I don't know. But Mm -hmm. um, in any case, he was having sex at age seven. By age 11, Reginald Carr became a duffel bag boy, uh, which is uh, someone who's usually a juvenile recruited by a Mm -hmm. drug dealer to sell and distribute drugs and exchange money. Juveniles are vulnerable to this because the drug dealers know if a kid gets popped on a drug charge, they are less likely to get prison time and thus not slow down the operations. Correct. Uh, This has been Culture Corner with Wendy and Bam. <laughs> In case you're wondering what a duffel bag duffel boy, boy. No, All yeah. right. <laughs> it is also a rap song by Little Wayne. Oh. Um, anyway, yeah. Uh, the boys used to shoot animals with BB guns. When they couldn't find animals to shoot, they would just shoot each other. Reginald to this day has a BB gun or a BB bullet lodged in his head. Reginald got in many fights in school and he even beat up a teacher in the ninth grade. He got suspended in eighth grade for sexually harassing a teacher and it just gets better. By age 13, he became a gang member. He had a long rap sheet way before the Wichita crimes were committed. Yeah. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.
3 a.m. The comedy horror podcast that holds weekly gatherings around the campfire. Let me tell you what you're going to get. You're going to hear stories about demonic possessions, prison stabbings, skinwalkers, glitches in the matrix, cult leaders, missing 411, night marchers, Operation Paperclip, Mesopotamian devil worship, and so many monsters it'll give Kanye West a runaway for his money. Pop and meme culture also aren't off topic. A camp where laughs and scares are constantly competing for first place. We're just a group of friends trying to bust each other's balls, find the best stories, and expand the circle in the process. 3AM, the comedy horror podcast, not for the faint or fragile of heart. Let's go. From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia, Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule. History so interesting, it's criminal. So let's get into the setting. Where did this take place? Paint the picture for us, Beth. (laughs) It took place in the heartland. (laughs) In Wichita, Kansas, in December 2000. Uh, The temperature at the time hovered around 20 degrees and it was snowy. Wichita is one of those places on my list of places I will never go. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> have you been there? Um, we we drove r- around the country a lot when I was a kid, so I've been to pretty much uh-huh. every every state in the country. Whoa! I've been through Kansas. Yeah. Um, uh, the only state I haven't been to is actually Hawaii. That I think I've been to every other oh. state, uh, even Alaska. That is so. <laughs> that is so cool oh my gosh so we drove i just want to put you in like i just want to give you a hug that is so cool yeah my parents were pretty cool uh they that was our vacation oh. in the summer was to drive drive around the country drove to different places that's what they like oh. to do so yeah it was pretty cool um so i've we oh, drove man. through or i i don't know if i've been to wichita but we've driven through Kansas mm-hmm. many times. So, yeah, since it is, is since so it is neat. in the heartland, the heartland, it sounds so nice. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, center <laughs> center of the country. You know, it's it's uh-huh. one of those states that uh, if you want to get somewhere else, you're going to drive drive through it. Okay. Um. Yeah, I <laughs> I think I mentioned this later later on in our episode, but I have never met one black person from Kansas. <laughs> and I I don't know any black people who want to go there. So anyway. Oh, you know, uh, this is a, a tangent. Yes, um, love it. Go. When I was visiting my, my daughter in North Dakota, um, you know, you think North Dakota is just a bunch of white people up there. Yeah, that's what I assumed. Um, but the town that she lives in, it's a boom town because there's uh, mm-hmm. oil up there. So okay. um, oh. it is actually quite diverse. I was really surprised. Shut up. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Whoa, there's a lot whoa, of whoa, lot, of, the lot of different kinds of people up there uh hispanic african-american uh native american yeah there's a lot of different people up there 
That's incredible. Oh my gosh, that's so great. Oh, yeah. Man, see, you know, I said I assumed that it was all white. And you know what happens when you assume? You make an ass out of you and me. And you, well, you I think just did I, that. <laughs> I think in a lot of North Dakota, it's a bunch of white people. But in that particular town, because it's a boom town, uh, work mm-hmm. attracts all, all kinds of people. The work is there, so they go there. You know what? Shout out to South Dakota. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, shortly after the brothers arrived in Wichita, they embarked on their spree. And on December 8th, 2000, they robbed 23-year-old assistant basketball coach Andrew Schreiber. As he exited a convenience store, the brothers held him up at gunpoint and forced him into his car. They ordered him to drive to multiple ATMs where he withdrew money. They got a total of $800 from him. He feared for his life, but he was spared. And they left him in a field and shot out his tires on his car so that he could not drive away. Mm. Then on uh, December 11th, they attacked Anne Walenta, a youthful-looking 55-year-old. She was a cellist and librarian with the Wichita Symphony Orchestra. As orchestra librarian, she was responsible for ordering and keeping track of its music. Classical music was the great love of Valenta's life, coming just after her husband and two grown children. It was a love she enjoyed bringing to others, which was one reason why she had worked for a group that taught classical music to African-American youth. Shout out to you, Miss Valenta. Rest in power, girl. Um... (laughs) At about 9.30 p.m. on the night of December 11th, uh, she returned home after a rehearsal with the Wichita Symphony Orchestra and parked her SUV in front of her house. A man approached her and said, I need help. And then he pulled a gun out and the panicked woman started to drive away, but gunfire shattered the glass of the car window and ripped through her body. Severely wounded, but still conscious, she pressed her car's horn. Its incessant blare drew the attention of a neighbor who called 911. Walenta survived for several days. Uh, She recovered consciousness and spoke with police from her hospital bed before dying of her injuries. In the hospital ICU, she was able to give a description of her attackers, which helped lead to their capture. She eventually succumbed to her injuries, um, and I read in some articles that it was three days, and others said it was a few weeks. Mm. So I'm not sure. Uh, Yeah, but um, still unfortunate, but thank goodness she was able to give a really good description. um, Yeah, yeah catch these guys so on december 14th um the car brothers upped the ante and entered a randomly selected home um there five people were at the home at the time aaron sander he was 29 brad Haka, uh age 27 my dogs are trying to get in the garage sorry if you can hear them <laughs> brad Haka, age 27 jason befort age 26 heather muller 25 and Holly G she was 25 her last name was kept secret because she is the victim of a sex crime um, and she's referred to in several documents as Holly G Um, so just out of respect we'll refer to her as Holly G or Holly uh, or HG Um, oh did you hear that my rude neighbors are driving by Um, oh I I wasn't sure what that was (laughs) 
<laughs> um, so, uh, I was going to say something about some, po- some po- podcasts have given her full name. Um, some publications have given her full name cats out of the bag. Um, but I was just thinking to be nice. We didn't, we didn't have to say it, but anyway, yeah. Brad Haka. Yeah. Was the, so Brad was the director of finance. Heather Muller was a preschool teacher. Aaron Sander was studying to become a priest uh, Jason Befort was a high school teacher and Holly was a fifth grade teacher. Jason and Holly were dating at the time and Heather and Aaron used to date, but they broke up when Aaron decided that he wanted to become a priest. Kind of inconvenient when you're trying to get busy with a priest, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, one of the things that they uh, shared was their faith. And Heather had also recently talked about becoming a nun. Brad and Aaron uh, were Jason's roommates. The five friends watched TV, ate dinner, and made conversation before heading off to their various beds. Befort and Holly were in bed sometime after 11 p.m. when the porch light suddenly came on. Uh, Don't tell me I have to get up and turn off the light again, uh, Jason said irritably. Uh, I guess the um, porch light shone into his bedroom, so that's why he would turn it off every night because it would Mm. keep him up so um yeah so he was irritated that the light came back on and holly Mm -hmm. heard talking which she assumed was aaron and heather but then the bedroom door burst open a tall black man pointing a gun stood at the, the doorway he came into the room and tore off the covers of the bed in which holly and jason were lying Then a second black man, also armed with a gun, led Aaron into the room. They demanded to know who else was in the house, then gathered all of the occupants together in Jason's room. They told him to strip naked and get in the closet. He opens the closet. You know that R. Kelly song. (laughs) do you know no, what I'm talking I don't. About? I don't know that song. <laughs> oh my gosh, R. Kelly has. Okay, I have to go on a tangent because R. Kelly is canceled, but he has this hit that uh, maybe like mid 2000s. Uh-huh. It was a twelve like twelve series, uh, and it was called "In the Closet," and uh, the chorus is "In the Closet." He opens the closet and then it's just like, it's total nonsense. He looks in the closet and uh, like, like what? what's in the closet? A man, he's a midget. I mean, it, R. Kelly sings the most nonsense <laughs> tune, but it's so funny. Google in okay. the closet. You will, you will right. laugh so hard. It's so funny. Anyway, so he tells him to get in the closet and the hostages were told not to talk. And if they attempted to talk, the men would wave their guns around and tell them that they better shut the fuck up. The brothers began taking the hostages out of the room in pairs and forcing them to perform sexual acts on each other while they watched. When it was Sanders' turn and he refused, remember he was studying to be in the priesthood, they pistol whipped him until he agreed to try. When Aaron was unable to get an erection... They beat him with a golf club and threw him back in the closet. After the brothers forced the victims to perform sexual acts on each other, Reginald then started taking each victim one by one to their banks to use their ATM cards and take out money. While he took the victims to the ATMs, Jonathan guarded the others. Uh, While he was guarding them, he also raped Heather and Holly. 
while his brother was gone. When Reginald took Holly to the ATM, he asked her if she enjoyed it. He meant the raping. And uh, she told him yes, hoping to appease him. And uh, she told him she had never had sex with a black man before. He called her shouty. And uh, hello, I'm I'm Wendy. And welcome to the Culture Corner with Wendy and Beth. Uh, shorty is a term of endearment that men, uh, uh, mostly black men, I guess I could say, will say to a woman that they fancy. Um, and he told her it was too bad that they didn't meet under other circumstances because she was cute and they probably would have gone out. HG asked if he was going to shoot her and her friends and he said no. And she pressed him and asked, do you promise? And she testified that he said, yeah, I'm not going to shoot you. And when they got back to the house, HE told her three male friends, hey, don't worry, guys, it'll be okay. Um, He said he wasn't going to shoot us. And the brothers ransacked the house and found a diamond ring, which Jason had bought and planned to give to Holly. This is how she found out that he was planning to propose to her. And then they repeatedly raped Holly and Heather. That's great. Yeah. That's that's I think that's the really that's that really tugs at your you know your heartstrings. It really does. Yeah. It, it was yeah. supposed to be a really happy like Christmas time and it ended up being the total opposite. Horrible. Yeah. Uh so the brothers then decided to uh make all five victims get into two vehicles. They used Aaron's car and Jason's truck. The women were allowed to wear tops but the men were put into the trunk of Aaron's car naked. And it was below freezing outside, mind you. Uh, They then drove the five victims to a snowy soccer field. All of the five were removed from the vehicles and forced to kneel naked in the snow. The brothers shot all five, one by one, execution style, in the back of the head. Mm. After the brothers shot everybody... Uh, They kicked the bodies to confirm that they were dead. And then on top of that, they got into the truck belonging to Jason and drove over them. Oh, boy. Uh, But Holly somehow miraculously survived. That's HG, y'all. Both being shot in the head and being run over by a truck in a snowy field. Uh, A barrette that she had been wearing in her hair deflected the bullet fired into her head, saving her life. Wow. I don't know how Holly survived this, but she is a miracle. Incredible. She played dead until she was sure they were gone. Um, And when Holly heard the car brothers drive off, she called out to her friends. Jason made a slight moan and she took off her sweater and wrapped it around his head um, that was bleeding to try to save him. She then looked around and saw Christmas lights in the distance. Nude and barefoot, she ran over the snow-covered fields for more than a mile, climbing over two fences and crossing a highway until she reached that house with the lights. Mm. While the surprised inhabitants let her in and covered her with a blanket, uh, she refused to lay down and relax and instead insisted on pouring out as much of her story as possible while they called 911. Holly didn't know how long she'd live. She thought she was going to die, and she wanted to relate every detail of the crime as possible before she passed out. Mm -hmm. And thanks to her detailed description of the perpetrators, a news broadcast was issued immediately. Way to go, HG. Yeah, 
she's pretty amazing. Yeah, her will to live, to to live and to tell the story is remarkable. Yeah, and to make sure that these guys got caught so that his her friends would get justice. Exactly. I mean, I'll just think it if it if it were me. I mean, I probably I mean, I get like a a nasty like a Facebook message and I'm like I think I'm just going to lay down and die right now. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, <laughs> just her her will, I mean, her will to live is I just it's amazing. Well, the entire group of them, um they were all um uh, mostly in uh service fields, you know, uh teachers mm-hmm. and you know, the one guy studying for the priesthood and lady mm-hmm. uh thinking about becoming a nun. It seemed like they were they were people who who wanted to help other people or wanted to serve other people, you know? Right. Uh, yeah. Like they were all really good people. And yeah. I also uh, listened to another podcast about this episode. And uh, they said that um, the the other thing Holly was concerned about, you know, she was a teacher and she was worried about her kids and what would happen oh, wow. if she died. The kids in oh, her classroom, gosh. she was worried how they would be affected oh my gosh that's amazing yeah um well she is the hero of the story for sure so shout out to you miss holly g get into the investigation and arrest the cars left the scene and didn't realize that there was a survivor nor did they realize that the police were looking for them they went back to the house and stole some more items from the home and the last killing they performed add this to their greatest hits is the killing of holly's dog nikki um it was a schnauzer killing a dog is awful yeah it is at 7 30 a.m on December 15th, the truck they stole and used to run people over was spotted at an apartment complex. Someone noticed a man carrying a large TV set from the truck to an apartment. And to this, I just had to say, hold the phones. You killed five people. <laughs> then you ran them over. And then you drove away. And then you go to Best Buy or Fry's Electronics <laughs> to get a TV. I, I think it was actually uh, stolen from there. Oh, from the house. okay. I thought they went to the <laughs> store with the money. Okay. Well, Ooh, I would be surprised. Still, but still yeah. awful. <laughs> yeah, still so, awful. Uh, <laughs> thank you for clarifying that for me, Beth. Um, so, Reginald's girlfriend answered the door and police arrested him as he tried to climb out of a window. Jonathan was arrested later that day when his girlfriend's mother called the police on a suspicion that he was the man they were looking for. He had the diamond ring intended for Holly in his pocket. The cars were arrested less than 12 hours after the events of December 14th. So shout out to you, police. Yeah. When news of the brothers' arrest was broadcast locally, Andrew Schreiber recognized them as the men who kidnapped him a week earlier. If you remember, he was the coach who um, was taken to his ATM uh, to get money out. So uh, he contacted the police. At the time of the car's arrest, 
Ann Walenta was still alive in the hospital. Police showed her a photographic lineup that included the Carr brothers. The dying woman picked out Reginald as the man who shot her. And bullets from all three crime scenes, Mm -hmm. from the tires on Schreiber's car, from Walenta's body, and from the five victims of the home invasion, all matched. The brothers were found with multiple items belonging to the victims. Jonathan Carr's DNA was found in a semen spot on the carpet of the Birchwood home and on swabs taken from Holly. Blood spots from Heather Muller were found on Reginald's clothing as well. Okay, so these guys were caught and they were taken to trial. Um, Because the perpetrators were black and the victims were white, a lot of people wanted the two to be charged with a hate crime. But the district attorney, Nola Folston, said the fact that the defendants and victims happened to be of different races had no bearing. Um, She contended that there was no evidence race was the motive. No racial slurs were made against any of the victims. And Faustum maintained that the robbery was at the root of these crimes. And then the defense wanted to divide the trials, one trial for each brother, And from a defense standpoint, if the trials are divided, then each brother would be able to blame the other, which is convenient for defense. Mm -hmm. But the judge denied the motion and they were tried together. Much of the testimony was grisly, as you might imagine. Mm -hmm. Uh, The most riveting witness was H.G., who was called to the stand early in the trial. She described the ordeal of rape that she and her friends had endured the way they were taken to the ATMs, and finally the brutal shootings. Jonathan's girlfriend and her mother and Reginald's girlfriend also testified against the brothers. In their summations, defense attorneys for each Carr brother pointed fingers at the other. Reginald's attorney emphasized that there were inconsistencies in witness identification and noted that DNA at the crime scene belonged to Jonathan rather than Reginald. John, Jonathan's attorney reminded the jury that both Ann Walletta and Andrew Schreiber had identified Reginald, but not Jonathan. Reginald was the one found with most of the belongings stolen that night. Reginald Carr was not alone, Jonathan's attorney said, but uh, the evidence will show who was playing the lead role that night, directing things, taking things. Don't just go back there and check the box guilty on all counts. Please consider Jonathan's guilt and innocence uh, separate from damning evidence against his brother, Reginald. So, yeah, they were pitting the brothers against each Mm -hmm. other anyway, regardless. And on November 4th, 2002, uh, the jury returned its verdicts. Jonathan and Reginald were convicted on almost all counts. Yes. Those convictions included multiple counts of capital murder, aggravated kidnapping, aggravated robbery, and rape. Mm. They were convicted of raping the males as well as the female victims. The jury did not forget little Nikki, the schnauzer, Mm -hmm. and found both brothers guilty of animal cruelty. Mm. Jonathan was acquitted on four counts of the kidnapping and robbery of Andrew Schreiber. Those were the only counts that uh, they were acquitted on. 
24 hours ago, I found out the person I'd been dating and seeing for the last six months as a con man. That is my sister, Emma. Andrew Tonks's lies had been so convincing, she'd invested $300,000 with him. However, the tables were about to turn on Andrew. What he didn't know was that Emma had discovered his real identity. But to get any chance of justice, Emma had to act like it was business as usual. Coming up in this series, and that's when murder, all this stuff goes through my mind. I'm really, really scared. I'm assuming Sarah has watched too much Netflix and figures I've been defrauding you. Couldn't be further from the truth. That's what this was, a real life story that seems so unbelievable, but it was actually true. A true story that all starts with one simple swipe to the right. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris. And this is my story, Conning the Con. True terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events. On our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there. Yeah. In 2004, the Kansas Supreme Court ruled the state's death penalty statute to be unconstitutional. The decision was later reversed by the U.S. Supreme Court in 2005, effectively reinstating the statute. Uh, So when the Kansas uh, Supreme Court ruled that the death penalty was unconstitutional, They were taken off of death row, but then uh, when the U.S. Supreme Court reinstated it, that meant that the cars and other condemned killers were returned to death row. Mm -hmm. Uh, The cars' defense attorneys continued appeals. So on July 25th, 2014, the Kansas Supreme Court overturned the death sentences against the cars based on trial judge error arguing that a trial judge is required or a trial is required for each of the brothers. And if you recall, the decision had been made to try them jointly. Jonathan Carr argued that he was not as responsible as his brother for the crimes and that Reginald Carr had been a bad influence on him during their troubled childhoods. 
the state attorney general appealed its high court's decision to the U.S. Supreme Court, which had no time for this, and agreed in March 2015 <laughs> to hear the case. And in January 2016, the U.S. Supreme Court overturned the decision of the Kansas Supreme Court and reinstated those death sentences. So, so it was a real roller coaster. It was, but I think in the <laughs> back and forth, yeah, back and forth, justice was served. So, yeah. see, the Supreme Court yeah, is good I, for something. I don't have a problem with. That. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, where are they now? Uh, the Carr brothers are are now currently sitting on death row in Kansas's El Dorado Correctional Facility. Hmm. Anne Valenta had worked for the Northeast Area Strings Academy of Wichita, uh, which goes by the acronym NASAW, mm -hmm. that describes itself as a summer classical music school dedicated to the preparation and education of the African American string player. That's awesome. She was honored by a uh, NASAW student. Titus James Jr., who dedicated his cello performance at a scholarship competition to her, and her husband Don and their two children established the Anne Walenta Music Scholarship as a means to continue her music legacy and to honor her. That's great. Um, yeah. Others have yeah. sought in different ways to honor the victims. A memorial golf tournament was held for Brad Heckia. The victims' families joined with the Wichita Community Foundation to found the Forget-Me-Not Memorial Scholarships. Holly G. and Andrew Schreiber became friendly during the car trial. They dated for a while, and then they got married in 2004. Hallelujah! Yeah, so that's that's a pretty pretty bright spot in this sad sad story. Yes, yes. Um, so one of the things uh, Beth and I like to get into um, because we love true crime, we want to know what made these people snap. And to be honest with you, I don't know why they went to Wichita or what led them to start robbing, shooting, and raping people in that particular December. But they do check all of the risk factor boxes that increase the probability that they would develop problems later in life, including dysfunctional family, abuse, violence, and drugs. Also, the BB gun bullet in the head probably didn't help. <laughs> yeah, they they had a terrible childhood. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I, I watched a documentary on YouTube. It was a really weird true crime documentary. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. I'd never seen anything like it. What? It like it was Christian true crime. Oh, yeah. okay. It was called Thou Shalt Not. Okay. And they... They would tell the story of the, the crime and then parallel it with a Bible verse. And okay. I don't know. It was really weird. Oh, <laughs> so I can't say that I recommend it. Okay. But I did watch it for the information. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, it's on a network I had never heard of before called TV One, which is supposed to be a rival to BET. I've never heard of that network either. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. Anyway, mm -hmm. they said that the brothers were often left to their own devices as children 
and pretty much raise themselves since their father was out of the picture and their mother was often not around. She was uh, doing yeah, drugs. And, yeah. yeah. So um, that the brothers formed a really close bond because of that. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, the fact that uh, Reginald was sexually active at six years old is telling. Mm-hmm. Six-year-olds don't really think about sex. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just not something that's on their radar. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I, as I said, I suspect that he was sexually abused by someone. And I am pretty sure that that had something to do with it. I mean, with all the uh, sexual abuse uh, that was going on with the crime. Mm-hmm. It, it's just so weird. Yeah. So weird. Yeah. Something I'm, I'm, I a hundred percent agree with you. Something probably happened. I'm, I'm yeah. sure something happened to them when they were younger. Something um, happened to this kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not, as I tell my daughter, when we um, discuss people that affect us, it's mm-hmm. not an excuse. It's an explanation. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a fair point too. Yeah. Well, uh, let's get into our takeaways. Okay. To me, this crime is interesting because it's transracial. I do not believe that these guys were out to kill white people. I think that they just happen to be in a PWS uh, which is short for predominantly white space, and they wanted to do some fucked up shit. More culture. Hey, <laughs> again, with the culture hour with Wendy and Beth, and they wanted to do some fucked up shit, and the only people around were white. So, again, I don't know any black people from Kansas. Do you? And if you're listening and you are a black person <laughs> in Kansas, please, please, like, send us an email or add us. Give or us a shout out. Yeah. Facebook discussion group because i'm telling you i uh, it's it's coming up goose eggs for me <laughs> i think at the time there was some attempt to turn this into a oh no black people are targeting white people and raping and murdering them but that's not true <laughs> white people were the only people around for these fucks to choose from black people are not engaged in any kind of race war nor have we ever been in a race war there is certainly an anti-white supremacy war which is different and the publications who implied that are messy hoes and should be ashamed (laughs) of themselves hip hop air horn Okay, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Uh, I don't think it was a, a hate crime. Um, I looked up Wichita, and the 2010 census shows the African American makeup of the city of Wichita was 11.5 percent, mm-hmm. so very small. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it was probably just opportunity, mm-hmm. um, or even class related they were looking for people to rob and seemed to think that these people were rich so and also that that crazy uh christian uh true crime (laughs) show said that they they actually followed a woman home uh they were planning on robbing her Mm -hmm. but uh they went to the wrong door so uh, that's the only place where i heard that but yeah they were just looking for somebody to rob and i don't think they even planned to do this crime it just but then there they were and and they just did it and i didn't read anywhere 
that the brothers said anything to the victims that they were chosen because of their race. Mm -hmm. And actually, um, as weird as it is, it seemed like uh, Reginald uh, had a soft spot for Holly. I know that that's weird, but he was calling her shorty. Uh And when they got into the cars to drive him out into the field, um, he had her uh, go in the truck with him when all the other people were in the car. It's nuts because then they they shot her in the head. So yeah, not something you do to somebody you it's it's pretty fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it didn't seem to me like it was a race crime at all. And also, one other thing I forgot, um, his girlfriend, Reginald's girlfriend, was white. Oh, so. get out of here. Hey, okay. Yeah, okay. yeah. Right. It sounds like he's got a type, you know. He's got a Yeah, preference. yeah, it seems like he actually, he likes white women. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Anyway, um, it disturbed me how many white people wanted this to be a hate crime. Oh my gosh. I read the blogs too. And I was like, I can't believe that people like, like they were actively like trying to make this into like a race, a hate thing. crime. Yeah, a hate yeah. crime. And, and I it was really reading didn't the blogs. have anything to do with race. Yeah, yeah. I I was shocked at at um the people's response on these like pr- like little private messaging groups and stuff. Like, holy shit! Yeah, those posts are still up. Yeah, never Anybody read the comments, go, Wendy. Yeah. Never never read I the need comments. To not do that. <laughs> um, yeah, Uh, So the last thing I wanted to say was that I do think that Reginald was a bad influence on Jonathan (laughs) Uh since he was the older brother. But Jonathan uh, was an adult at this point and he made choices and he definitely participated willingly and uh, you know, he did some of the crimes on his own. I mean, when Reginald was taking some of them to ATMs. Jonathan was back guarding them and raping the women. So, yeah. Yeah, you're right. He, you're right. Uh, he was an adult. a bad influence, but mm-hmm. yeah, he made choices. He did. He did. So, if you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, This segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. But in my mind, this is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's mistakes. Sometimes we have no suggestions for a particular episode and we'll just offer up generic tips. That's right. So this is a home invasion gone horribly wrong. My tips are not new. We've recommended this in the past. Simply Safe. Um, by the way, please sponsor our show. Simply Safe. Um, it's, it's a security system that you install yourself, so a convicted felon doesn't have to come in from ADT or wherever and install it for you. But also, you can go to Lowe's and get like um, security. Um, they're like tags, but you stick them to doors and windows um, and they beep or chirp whenever the window is or door is breached. Um, and I had t- 
terrible postpartum depression. I actually don't have one happy memory from my daughter's first year being alive. But anyway, um, but I was certain at that time that my whole family was going to die. So we... Every door and window of our house got these security tags and they made me feel better. So, and they're like five bucks each at Lowe's. So, um, and then one of the victims was uh, killed in her car. Um, the And carjacking seems totally outside of the realm of possibilities and things, you know, that could never happen to me. Um, but it actually can. So um, my other tip is don't sit and text in your car. It makes you a sitting duck. And before you get out, look around. Uh, I told my kids today when we pulled up to the house, do you see anybody who wants to kill us? Okay, let's get out. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's always good to be aware of your surroundings, see what's up. Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. I agree with your recommendations. And they don't know how the cars got into the home. And it's possible that someone opened the door for them. Um, one of the things that uh, Holly said was that um, Jason complained about the porch light going back on after mm-hmm. he turned it out for the night. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's possible that the cars knocked on the door and one of the inhabitants turned on the porch light and opened it. Um, I leave my porch light on all night. Me so too. if someone comes to the door, I can look through the peephole. They can't mm-hmm. see that I'm there, mm-hmm. but I can see who it is mm-hmm. without turning on the light. So they don't know mm-hmm. that I'm there. Yeah. And um, I would, again, suggest not opening the door for strangers. Ask who is there through the door. Mm-hmm. Call 911 if they want help or if they start acting strangely. Go ahead. And yeah. as my daughter says, call 911 whistle. <laughs> Nine one whistle. <laughs> yes, this is this is an, this, that would be an appropriate time to call 911. I know that some people are out here. I'm going to call them white people out here calling 911 for very unnecessary reasons. <laughs> um, but in this instance, this Beth is absolutely yeah. right. This is appropriate. <laughs> well, that wraps up the story. So, hey, did you just hear that glitter? Did you just see that unicorn <laughs> walk by? We've got listener letters. Um, <laughs> so, all right. All right, I might even have to stand up to read this one because <laughs> this is a review that's been eating at me for a while. So we're obviously we're a new podcast, but we're we um this is a labor of love. Um and I have to share this review with you. Everybody can see it. You can go on iTunes and check it out. And uh I'll tell you that what he said. And I'm going to tell you then my thoughts. He, I'm assuming is, um, if I'm wrong, <laughs> then prove it. But uh, I'm assuming he's he's a dude. He titled it, So Disappointed. I was looking forward to the Baseline Killer podcast episode. That was uh, our, one of our first episodes. He was active in my area. In fact, one of his victims was found across the street from my house and another two just a couple miles away. The hosts do not seem to understand the grip of terror and worry Phoenix was under at the time and briefly touched on uh, another two serial killers working at the same time. 
Um, when in fact, Phoenix initially thought it was all one killer. This is the only podcast I've found about the baseline killer. And amazingly, it's poorly presented. Well, in case you didn't notice, this is a show about true crime and people of color. We mentioned in our episode that we were not going to get into those two crazy white fuckos who were shooting people at random because they were white. And there was already plenty of coverage about them. So um, also, Beth did share how terrifying it was for her to work on the same block where Godot lived and took one of his victims. If you want to hear about a white serial killer, my man, there are plenty of podcasts for you out there to listen to. And unfortunately, boo, we are just not one of them. We are talking about POC perps and POC victims. And if it wasn't clear from the title, I'm sorry you were confused. If I had a gunshot sound effect, I would shoot it, but I don't. All I have is the hip hop air horn. So, Mr., I'm grateful that you listened to the show. I'm grateful that you wrote a review. I just disagree with you. So, yeah, I don't really understand his complaints because we did, um, we did clearly say that, uh, what the podcast was about and that we were not going to talk about the other, the Phoenix shooters, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they were white guys. And we talked about how Phoenix initially thought it was all one killer. I talked about how scary it was. So I don't, I don't know. I don't don't really understand those complaints. I can understand if he just didn't like it. He didn't like the presentation. Yeah, yeah, for sure. He didn't like us or whatever. That's fine. But I don't really understand those particular complaints, but whatever. That's okay. And, and, um, I will say to the, to whatever. Oh, go ahead, Beth. Oh, I was just going to say also, uh, you have to keep in mind that was our very first episode ever of doing any mm-hmm. podcast ever. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't, I mean, we're, we're still learning, but like the, we were baby podcasters at the time. Oh, yeah. We're, just, we're, we're doing, still baby we, podcasters, a, but yeah, that was our very first. That was our first step. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so we. We did our best and we understand that not everybody will love what we do, um, but we um, want continued feedback. So <laughs> don't just say mean things about us. So we'll read your, your reviews on the show. Okay? <laughs> yeah, don't do that. We'll read the good things. ones too. Yeah, we, <laughs> we, we usually I, read the good this, ones. <laughs> we usually read the good ones. This one, this one was like, I've just been thinking about this review for a long time because I was like, but wait, but we did. So anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking. My I'm thinking maybe he didn't even listen to the whole episode. Oh, you could be right, Beth. Yeah, because be right. I mean, we talked about all of those things, so I don't know. We did, and it was a two-parter. Remember? So. Yeah, it was, and I think maybe yeah. he was just, you know, we irritated him, and so. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. And I mean, that's, that's all right. That's fine. Well, you know what? Yeah. I'm adding you to my prayer list. Yep, you're going on the prayer um, list. You're on <laughs> prayer list. So anyway, um, if you um want to find us, where should the people go, Beth? Oh, where to find us? Our website is fruitloopspod.com. Our Facebook page mm-hmm. is Fruit Loops Pod, and our discussion group is 
Fruit Loops Pod discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod. And also our links to our sources will be in our footnotes. And if you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash app, which you can download to your phone. Or you can find online at cash.me forward slash dollar sign Fruit Loops Pod. Or you can become a monthly patron through our Podbean patron page, which is patron.podbean.com forward slash Fruit Loops Pod. This will help us pay for things like our website and pod hosting. There's no minimum and no commitment. Even a dollar would help. That's right. Now, this is a weekly podcast, you guys, and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, guys. It's crazy out there. detective came and knocked on the door and I said is it Renee and he just gave me that solemn look it was the worst day ever the proof podcast is back with a new case and a new season 23 years ago 18 year old Renee Ramos went missing her body was later found in an empty Home Depot building on the edge of town I don't think that they arrested the right people it's about time somebody's trying to do something she had a black eye about two weeks before she was murdered They are involved. They definitely had her body and her backpack. You know people are going to judge you, right? Of course. They're judging me now. They've been judging me damn near my whole life. You can listen now to season two of Proof, wherever you get your podcasts. And follow along with us as we reinvestigate the murder at the warehouse. I have to ask, did you kill Renee? Ohio is a land of mystery, from missing shipwrecks and lost treasure beneath her surface to strange phenomenon slicing through her skies, from myths that have evolved around historic events and people to the unsolved murders and disappearances that keep her communities wondering what happened. Find Ohio Mysteries on your favorite podcast app, and let's explore the inexplicable. OhioMysteries.com.